Sound Design. So back in June, I produced an event called Live Sound Summit, where I invited some of my favorite teachers from the world of live audio. And I gave the last presentation at that event, and it was called Stop Smarting the Sound System. So what I want to do in this video and this podcast is share with you what is smarting the sound system, why I think you should avoid it, and what you should do instead. All right, so let's talk about smarting the sound system. So who has heard this term, smarting the sound system? Just type yes into the chat box and let me know if you've heard this. Key says yes. Peter says yes. Uh, Pablo says yes. Nathan, yes. Okay, great. So a few of you guys have heard this. I had heard it around a few places, and it wasn't really solid in my mind until I went to Merlin Van Veen's seminar in Banff last year, um, and he mentioned it. And I was like, oh, this is a real thing. Like, this is now a thing like smart is ubiquitous enough, or enough people have run into it that now it's turned into a verb smarting the sound system. So I want to talk about smarting the sound system and uh, what to do instead. This is a, a frame from a video that I published a few weeks ago um, and turned out that it was kind of popular. So I asked people to vote on what they wanted me to, to present on, either this or something else. You guys voted on this. So this is what we're talking about. So this is the genesis of this presentation. All right, so what is smarting the sound system? I think we kind of all have kind of an idea that it's something bad, maybe? Like, maybe, and uh, it's, maybe it's derogatory, I don't know. But what are the steps to smarting a sound system? So let's go through them together. Number one, you would uh, buy an audio analyzer, right? Or audio analyzer software, right? And we're picking on smart because that's a popular one. People see it more and it turns into a thing. But it could be anything, right? Sat live, SysTune, doesn't matter. You buy, so first step, buy your audio analyzer software. Step two, don't practice at home. This is important. Don't even read the manual. Just assume that it's all working because we all know that assumptions always work out 100% of the time. That's step two. Step three, take a single measurement of the combined system at front of house with one third octave smoothing. So what is combined versus single systems? If you haven't heard that before, um, it's kind of just a difference between one speaker and two speakers, right? So when I say combined system, I mean the entire system's on. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a main and a sub, or maybe it's like multiple mains and delays and outfills and front fills and mini subs and this kind of stuff that we were looking at in Bob's presentation. So it could be anything. Um, could be any number of speakers, that is, but it's the entire system on. That's what I'm thinking of. Step four, you're going to want to insert... 20 EQ filters to make the, uh, the make the trace appear flat. Okay, that's important. And number five, last step, don't use your ears and base all of your decisions on what you see on the graph. So you could basically just do this from home. Like I could do this from here and Pablo could set up a microphone in his space there. And, uh, you know, then I could just remote in and then I could even remote control probably the speaker processor and I could just do everything from here and I could just have an office maybe and I could just do sound system tuning from home. Sounds good, right? So <laughs> I'm 
I am exaggerating a lot here, but these are the basic steps to smarting the sound system. So what's wrong with this? Why are we even talking about this? Sounds pretty simple, could be innocuous. First of all, who is guilty of smarting the sound system? If you are bold enough to just admit, type into the, sound, type into the chat box, yes. So I'll be the first person, yes. Um, I did this a bunch of stuff, bunch of times when I first started out, especially I had a, I got one of those um, handheld RTAs and I would sort of walk around the room and like uh, take some measurements. But I remember when I first got it, obviously I would just take a single measurement at front of house uh, with the entire system on. And then I would just look at the graph and then try to like make everything flat. Phonic RTA, you got it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Cool. So what's wrong with smarting the sound system? So uh, before we get into each of those steps, let's just talk about uh, this quote that I like a lot. That I think is from George Lucas. He said, every new technological development by definition in the beginning is used too often and in the wrong way. Um, I think a great example of this is when I was going to college between like 1999-2003 is right around the time that Pro Tools was coming, becoming popular, especially with home recording artists. Uh, and so it just was getting in kind of the price range where people could do digital multi-track recording at home and, and do it in a way that you could almost make a, um, uh, what do I want to say, like studio quality record at home is, is what, how it was being marketed. And the big hubbub at the time is people were saying, this is going to be the death of recording studios. People can record at home. Uh, they're not going to need us anymore. And it sounds bad. I guess that's the thing I should focus on is that people said it sounded bad. Pro Tools is the problem. When we know now, and probably a lot of people knew at the time that it wasn't really Pro Tools that was the problem. It's just a tool, right? It was the way people were using it initially because you just like put a really powerful tool into the hands of, you know, a home musician and they do whatever they're going to do with it. You know, they make a mess. They try things out. So I think that's a great example of uh, this quote here of new technology being used too often and in the wrong place. All right, so what's wrong with smarting the sound system? Let's take a look at each of our steps here. So first of all, what's wrong with buying audio analyzer software? There's nothing inherently wrong with that, but I think a big problem is with people's expectation, which is that it's going to be a silver bullet. Right? It's going to solve all their problems. It's going to make them sound good. It's going to get everything under control. When the truth is that, um, again, it's just a tool, just delivers data, and you're the one that knows what sounds good. You're the one with the ears and the brain and the taste, really. Um, and the audio analyzer just shows you data and then can help uh, support your goal to put that good sound in every seat. And then maybe another problem with buying audio analyzer software is looking for features that aren't available. So for example, don't buy sat live, expecting it to run, um, measure two microphones at the same time, don't buy smart, expecting it to have like a virtual EQ feature. What's wrong with not practicing at home? Well, this one may seem obvious, um, but just some examples. Um, you're not learning 
proper setup. So maybe you get out into the field then and you don't even know how the connections work. And it's a, a simple kind of thing to connect an audio analyzer um, and get a two channel measurement up and running. But I struggled with this for at the beginning. And I see a lot of my students struggle with this at the beginning, which is why I've been running this whole video series. If you guys have seen, I've been putting out a video every day for the last month, almost, maybe not, maybe in three weeks, um, trying to tackle this topic really of just getting started with sound system tuning, getting those first connections right. So proper setup can be a hurdle at the very beginning. Um, just getting good data, which would mean, you know, verifying your audio analyzer and then knowing that when you take a measurement, what are the clues that tell me if I have good data or not? And then functionality, right? Like our jobs are all about speed. So if you're going to be sort of like pecking around trying to find how to do things, that's not going to be good enough. You need to be fast with all your tools. I don't think if you were going to work on a new console on a show tomorrow that you just got like a last minute call for, I don't think you would just show up and hope it would work out. I think you would probably research that thing as much as you could, watch videos, download the offline editor and, and do all that stuff to try and get prepared, right? So we wouldn't do the same things with our audio analyzer. Um, and then here's a good quote about the need to work quickly uh, that I got during my interview with Chris Tangiris from Rational Acoustics. If it takes you two hours to get the system to sound good, that's not acceptable to me. If you get the system up and ready to use in 15 minutes, then you're a hero. So what's wrong with taking a single measurement of the combined system in front of us? Well, first of all, if you're just taking a single measurement and basing all of your decisions on that, that's called a monarchy, right? That's great for me and my position, but it's not great for everyone else. Remember Bob McCarthy saying 10,000 seats, 10,000 possibilities. Um, also, if you're just taking a single measurement, then you're potentially going to work on EQing a comb filter or some other local anomaly instead of uh, global trends, which is what we get when we take multiple measurements and then try to look at the trends going on between them. What's wrong with a combined response? Well, this kind of is a problem of order of operations, right? If we just turn everything on and take a measurement and try to make a decision from that, we don't know if it's something going on to, between the timing between the main and the side fill or um, something going on between the main and the sub or, or maybe it's a problem over there. We just don't know. You know, there's, there's too much going on. So that's why we usually start with single systems and then move on to combined systems. What's wrong with smooth? Um, so I'm sort of unpacking this sentence piece by piece, as you can see. So one third octave smoothing, it's easier to see, easier to work with, but ultimately it's a lie. So what do I mean by this? Well, I have this great quote from Mauricio Ramirez from my interview with him, where he said, the biggest problem is that people smooth the graphic of the audio analyzer to one third. This is the biggest mistake. Smooth is easier to read, but what you are reading is a lie. Um, by the way, if you guys have any questions, feel free to interrupt me. Um, I will just sort of keep an eye on the Q&A box. I'm not going to look at the um, chat box as much, but I will keep my eye on the Q&A box to see if anything comes in. 
All right. So smoothing, watch out for it. Um, the best example, I think, of... Oh, I just realized that I think I didn't share my screen with audio. So just like everyone else, I'm going to have to stop sharing for a second. Then I'll start again. Cool. Um, so I have a short uh, video clip that I'm going to show you here of a good way to show what smoothing does to a display. you to do on your own. Let's say that we do a boost here. Okay, I've got my locked cursor here. And what does this say in the white here? It says 500 hertz, 15 dB. Okay. Yep. 500 hertz, 15 dB. That's what we've got on our graphic EQ. So far here, it looks like we're looking at the truth, right? And I learned this from Mauricio Ramirez, and this is why he says when you use smoothing, you're looking at lies. Because if I switch the magnitude smoothing here to one-third octave, whoa, this goes down from, look here at the white numbers. I can't put my cursor up there. Um, it goes from 15 to 11. Maybe that's not a huge change, but all of a sudden, we're looking at a lie. This is not, we should be looking at a 15 dB boost. But with the smoothing all the way down to one-third octave like that, maybe the picture looks better, but it's not really a truth anymore, and it's not quite helping us. So you notice that the filter also got um, <clears throat> wider here. So let me just show you the change one more time again. Here's 148th, and here's one-third octave smoothing. Okay, so just... All right, you guys, I think you get the picture. Smoothing, watch out for it, it's dangerous. Um, wait, where were we? Okay, so what's wrong with inserting 20 EQ filters to make the trace appear flat? Well, biggest problem with that is micromanagement. Um, we heard Bob McCarthy yesterday talking about, uh, someone asked him what is the number one problem he sees in sound system tuning? And he said, it's gross over equalization. Um, inserting a bunch of filters to try to make the thing appear flat and you're probably um, EQing local anomalies. You know that thing's going to change when you move over a seat. Things like that. I have a great quote here from Merlin Van Veen. Um, the problem is that we have this super powerful tool, right? And we want to like use it. So you have this x-ray photo of your sound system and it's very tempting to start addressing every minor deviation. I did this in the beginning. Everyone does this in the beginning. Uh, it sets the table for micromanagement. And I guess the other thing, which I already talked about yesterday, is that maybe flat isn't going to make your client happy. Uh, not a lot of times I'm using a flat target trace these days, right? We talked about yesterday. It's usually some kind of a tilt with a low end addition and high frequency reduction. All right. And what's wrong with not using your ears? Like, we have these tools now. Why should we do that? Well, we're doing the show for humans, right? Not for robots. And we need to make it sound good for humans. So no audience is really going to thank you for your diligent creation of this perfectly ruler-flat uh, response. They're just going to hear what they hear, right? We're sound guys. So um, I'm sorry I keep, like, making all these references, but it's just, like, connecting so many things for me now um, going back to Bob McCarthy, he's saying, um, what if it 
looks good but sounds bad. Well, find out why. There, there can't really. There needs to be a harmonious uh, working, you know, between um, our pursuits supported by the audio analyzer. So I have this great quote here from Mauricio, Mauricio Ramirez again. You need to compare the graphic of the audio analyzer with something that would be played during the concert. So his basic problem here is uh, maybe people who just work on a lot of tuning and just listening to pink noise. And, um, you know, it's understandable. We just talked about how we have these like really strong time limitations on top of us. And we're trying to move as quickly as possible because we want to be the heroes that get the thing done in 15 minutes and say, like, boom, it's done. Um, we can't sign off on that sound system, though, till we actually listen to some material going through it that represents the show that we're doing. So um, we talked about what is smart in the sound system. We talked about what's wrong with it. So let's talk about what we can do instead. So some of you guys are probably already doing this stuff. If you started out smarting the sound system like I did, then at some point it wasn't working for you or someone said, hey, check this out. And uh, you started moving more and more towards a better solution. So let's talk about a better solution. Maybe instead of just buying audio analyzer software that you see someone else using, or that you think is the best, or this one's the most expensive, uh, so I'll get that one. Maybe you buy audio analyzer software, not at all. Maybe you get a free version. So you've got um, Rita, RoomEQ Wizard, things you can start for free, train yourself, upgrade later. Um, or if you really want to start out on a SysTune Smart or Sat Live, maybe you get the 30-day um, demo and you train on that, and then maybe you buy it, or maybe you try another one, okay? So, uh-oh. <coughs> oh, shit. I thought I muted it, and I totally didn't. I'm sorry. I just coughed all over your ears. Ah, uh, okay. Too many, like, windows I have control over here. Um, what can we do instead of not practicing at home? Well, we can practice at home. Um, how are we going to do that? Well, in the video series that I've been producing, I'm suggesting taking like tiny baby steps. That's what kind of works for me. Like I'm not going to try and do everything at once and try to employ every feature and figure out it's just too much. So start by measuring a microphone cable. Okay. If that works, uh, then maybe an EQ, see what that looks, play around with that for a while, you know, controlled circumstances. And then maybe you measure a console and then maybe you measure a full range speaker and then maybe you measure a sub and then, Maybe you measure a full range speaker against the wall and you move the microphone around and you see what that looks like. And you move the speaker around and see what that looks like. And then maybe two full range speakers and you see how they compare and you move them around. So there's all these ways of practicing at home um, that can get really help us really wrap our heads around what we're seeing on the screen and what that sounds like in the room and how the two connect. And there are even processes that we can practice at home that we can use in the field that are exactly the same. Like they might not look the same and, and sound the same, but the steps for them are exactly the same and, and we can still get experience with those. So things like um, checking polarity, comparing delay times, matching level EQ, checking crossover alignment. Those are things we can all practice at home. 
What can we do besides taking a single measurement of combined systems at front of house with one third octave smoothing? Well, first of all, instead of taking a single measurement, we can take multiple measurements, right? It's easy. And instead of a combined system versus, instead of uh, just doing the combined system, what we should probably do is start with single systems. And we should probably start with the single system that covers the largest portion of the audience. So when I'm doing my tunings and my uh, work in the field, almost every action I take on kind of my list, I'm just assuming, let me do the next most important thing so that if for some reason the show has to start right after that, or for some reason I have to stop right after that, I at least got that next most important thing done. So that's kind of how I think about this process. And I've outlined this process in something that I call the Sound System Tuning Roadmap. I'm going to put a link to it in the chat box right now. If you guys don't have it already, you can download it for free right there. It's just a one-page PDF, but you can see uh, a global view of the entire process that I'm talking about. Okay, and what can we do instead of smooth? Well, we can use a respectable one-fourth uh, 148th octave smoothing on our amplitude trace and um, 124th octave smoothing on our face trace. All right, let me check the questions box. Um, Nathan, can you please give ideas about how to practice at home? Yeah, well, I just went through a few of them, Vladimir, but um, personally, here's what I've been doing. I mean, it's really super boring basic things like measuring a microphone cable and then measuring an EQ and like moving the EQ around and what does that look like? And although that sounds simple and boring, it took a while to get that set up, right? I mean, for example, I'm using an X32 and I had to figure out what is the specific routing I need to do on this X32. And that just took me a while to figure out. So although I'm saying these words really fast and it sounds simple and easy, like it might have taken me an hour to get that thing set up. But then that's also really good practice, right? Like just getting the thing set up because you need to be able to set that thing up fast in the field. We all know we don't need more things to do. We need less things to do when we're out working in the field. So if we're going to add a process to our setup strategy, like using an audio analyzer, then we need to be able to set it up fast. But Vladimir, it's, it's really those kinds of things, uh, simple things like... Um, doing those kind of measurements. And then the things I like to practice at home are also just the processes that I know I do a lot in the field. So I'll give you an example. Um, one thing that I do in a lot in the field is just aligning front fills to mains. Uh, so I've been practicing that at home. Um, also, I've been recently practicing what is the difference between if I just EQ this by ear and what is the difference if I just EQ it with the graph and then sort of like compare them. What's the difference between what I think I hear and what's on the graph and then I'll AB that EQ. So I'm trying to train my EQ abilities a little bit better. And then the last one that I've been practicing at home a lot is main subalignment. Um, I get out into the field a lot with um, sometimes not matching speakers. So like a main from um, manufacturer A and a sub from manufacturer B. And so what I've been playing around with at home is like, what do I do when I get into positions where the phase traces through the crossover region, not only do they not match, 
but they don't match. They're like wildly don't match. So what options do I have there? Uh, what if I um, change the crossover filters? Is that going to help me? What if I um, adjust the level difference so that the relationship changes a little bit? So having this time to play at home, I guess. So maybe that's my suggestion, Vladimir, is like number one, super simple things and like just practicing getting it set up. But also number two, thinking about the things that I have to do a lot in the field and then uh, running myself through those. Okay, so we talked about step three. What about inserting filters? So what can we do instead of inserting a million EQ filters to make the trace appear flat? Well, instead of doing micromanagement on the single trace that we talked about, I think what we can do is a combination of optical and mathematical averaging. Optical averaging just being taking multiple traces. So let's say we're just doing an on-ax measurement of our main speaker and we know what that spot is, but we're gonna do, let's say uh, four measurements just right around there to make sure that we're not just EQing some kind of comb filter. So we'll go maybe uh, two feet this way, two feet that way from the center position. So, and then we'll just put those all on top of each other and sort of step back and look at it from a distance. That's our optical averaging. And then we'll also create an average trace from those four tra uh, trace measurements that we took. And that'll be our mathematical average. So I think that's probably uh, something that can help us fight micromanagement. Um, one more idea about what we can do instead of inserting a bunch of filters is maybe develop a more appropriate trace than flat. Um, if you don't have your own target trace already, there are a bunch of mine you can download. And I don't have a link with me right now, but I have a video about this and I have a whole package of target traces that you can download. Um, Maybe what we'll do is at the end of the presentation, I'll go grab these and I'll drop them into the chat real quick. But I suggest that you develop your own target trace. And one way you can do that is by practicing at home and EQing and then um, uh, seeing what you like and then developing something from that. But one way that I've seen people do this in the field that I think is really smart is basically work on a show, do their, do their process as they would. And then at the end of the show, then take a measurement of the combined system and look at what is like the general uh, result that they ended up with. And when they do that a number of times, then, then you start to develop your own target trace. Oh, this is what I like, or this is what works well for me and my clients. Or when I use this target trace, uh, I always get applause, something like that. I think those are ways to get started. Um, again, nothing inherently wrong with flat, um, just not something to get obsessed about. Okay, and then finally, oh, what can we do instead of not using our ears? Well, we can use our ears, right? And using conjunction with our audio analyzer to make a superpower team. Um, sometimes, so... so there's not a hard and fast rule about this. 
sometimes I feel like always trust your ears over the analyzer. And then sometimes I feel like, you know what, don't say that, say use both together and, and uh, should be a symbiotic relationship. And I feel like that's maybe a little bit more appropriate just because of what I learned from Bob McCarthy yesterday. Um, it really struck me when he said, don't cop out. If there's, if it looks good, but sounds bad, find out why. To whereas I think maybe in the past, sometimes I've thought if it looks good and sounds bad, trust your ear. But that's kind of an excuse, right? And you're saying, I don't really understand what's happening. And so I'm going to excuse myself from that. But if you don't give yourself an excuse and you say, let me actually find out what's happening, then you keep that harmonious relationship. And you also, I guess, accept the limitations of the analyzer. We all know that it is possible to um, do the same show every night, but in different spaces and um, ultimately get the result that we want. But maybe that target trace that we got at the end of the day is not exactly um, the same. Or we pursued exactly the same target trace at every venue, but it sounded a little bit different. So I'm just, what I'm trying to get out here is that there are some limitations of the audio analyzer. I can't tell us ever being about sound. Um, there are characteristics of sound that still are not uh, perceived by the audio analyzer. And it's why it's super helpful for us. And there's some really powerful things that it can do, but we still need to listen and say, okay, yes, this is good. Or you know what, although I see what I'm getting at here, there's still a problem. Let me pursue this further. And that's it, you guys. So that is Stop Smarting the Sound System. I hope I have motivated you to uh, take a look at your sound system tuning procedures a little bit more. And um, thank you for your patience while I kind of tested out this new idea. Um, if this is something that you would like to see more of, I have a whole course on sound system optimization called Pre Audio Workshop Seeing Sound that is 57 lessons of exactly this kind of stuff. Like, what to do, when, and where to use, um, basically have a method to take any parts that you have and put them into a co cohesive whole to maximize a sound system that you have in any room. Sound design. Yeah.